You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis. Um, on today's show, we're going to talk about a, another trade that happened on March 30th, the same day as the Eckersley deal, but uh, not as big of a story, but certainly an interesting one for Indians history and one we should talk about. We are going to talk about the simulation season that I am doing, and if we have time, in the second half of the show, we're going to dive in the 1966 draft, the second one in Indians history, and definitely shows how times have changed when it comes to the draft to a degree. Um, but then again, we're also going to look at the uh, draft in 1995, which shows even in, from 95 to now how drastically different people view and approach the draft. So let's start with the simulation. Good news. Uh, well, actually, no, just bad news, bad news. Uh, when I moved my computer, there was an issue and uh, the previous game didn't save. So I had to replay it in which the Indians lost because the bullpen blew it. Whereas I talked about James Karinjok being perfect. Uh, instead, he came in and walked everybody and the Indians <laughs> lost. So instead of being three and one on Monday, uh, they were two and two. And then uh, the Tuesday game is a real kick in the pants. So let's just get into what happened in that one. The Indians put seven runs across on eight hits. Uh, they walked nine times, and they still lost. Uh, Roberto Perez had a double, Santana a double, Mercado a double. Multi-hit game. Actually, no one had a multi-hit game in this one, but uh, two walks by Jose Ramirez. And everyone had at least one walk, except for, interestingly enough, Carlos Santana. So the Indians actually... Uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez got through two innings. First inning was really rough, gave up two runs, came back in the second one and was all right. Adam Simber, two innings, one hit, one walk, and a strikeout. He's solid. Oliver Perez gives up first guy faces, Yasmani Grandal, home run, uh, proceeds to then throw three perfect innings after that, doesn't allow another base runner. And the final guy he faces is Grandal as he gets through the order and gets him to pop up. So at that point, we are seven innings in. Uh, in the sixth inning, the Indians put two across, and in the seventh, they put three across. So they're currently at that point up seven to three. Eighth inning begins. Um, I know I need to get Perez out of there after three innings. I'm like, oh, how bad can it go for James Hoyt? Well, three hits, a walk, four earned runs. I kind of left him stay in there because the Indians were up by four runs. Once two got across, I pulled him. Uh just getting hit all over the place, bring in Phil Mayton. Uh, you know, at this point, the Indians are up one run. He's got an 81-graded curve in the game. The guy he is facing uh, upgrades his, his curve by plus 20 to make it a 101-grade pitch. Uh, now, this is a game where it's not on the 20-80 grading scale, so you can go well past into the 90s and stuff, but still, makes it one of the better pitches in the game. For some reason, Mayton isn't throwing that in the situation. He proceeds to give up three earned runs, on uh, a walk and three hits, and the Indians lose this one 10 to seven after giving up seven runs in the eighth inning. And so far, that is just what we are running into is the bullpen is pretty atrocious. Um, I am not a knee-jerk guy, but after this game, I decided, you know what? We don't really know for sure who they're gonna make on this team. Uh, they do seem to like James Hoyt a lot, but in three games, uh, for me, he's pitched two and two-thirds innings and given up eight runs, and I was like, you know what, I have Dominic Leone down in AAA who probably is approaching a point where he'd need to be added or released, so we uh, we sent James Hoyt packing. Uh, that is my first roster move. In terms of the bullpen, Brad Penn, Brad Penn, Brad Hand, ERA over nine, Phil Mayton, 
16.2, Nick Wetgren, 11.57, Oliver Perez, 675, James Karinchak, 675, uh, Hunter Wood, 4.5, uh, Simber at the, with a zero, and Hoyt at 27. It's, it's not good. Uh, Plesak had a less than stellar game comparatively to his last one. Uh, yeah, it's, it was not, uh, not good. The Indians are two and three. All that, uh, happy talk. Quickly, we are moving on. I'm going to close the game out right now so we do get a save. Uh, Saval is currently still your ERA leader. Your average and home run leader is still Carlos Santana. So let's talk about the other deal that happened way back in the day on March 30th. Uh, this is one of those that I I feel like it, it's a wash. Like, you know, it worked out well for the Indians and their needs at the time. But it's kind of a mind boggler when you look at it now. So the Indians um, on March 30th, way back in, let me get the exact year on this. I probably should know. It was like 97, I want to say, right? 98. I'm sorry. It was 98 because uh, it was before the start of the 98 season. The Indians trade Sean Casey uh, to the Cincinnati Reds straight up for Dave Burba. Now, at the time, I remember being like, that's an interesting deal. Uh, the Indians were very hot for Burba. I, I just remember that, you know, that chase of him was something that I had been reading about um, in the paper at the time that for whatever reason, I really had their eyes set on him. Now, I mean, that part of it proved uh, strong. He came to Cleveland, definitely had the best three years of his career in 98, 99, and 2000. Uh, his baseball, his B-War, 3.7, 3.6, 3.7. Well above uh, that two score. What's interesting is in 96, uh, he had been good for the Reds. In 97, not as much. He regressed. And in 96 and 97, were his first two times working as a starter. He had been a reliever his entire career with Seattle, who drafted him in the second round out of Ohio State, and the Giants before that. The Indians were acquiring him in his age 31 year, um, coming off a down season in the National League. So, of course, when you're trying to get this pitcher who's coming off the down year and is already on the wrong side of 30, I was trying to go through and kind of dig out the numbers because at one point in time I had a list of... um, Baseball America rankings in like the 80s and 90s, and I don't know where that ended up, uh, and I was not able to dig through it. But I did find a John Sickles list that he had from prior to the 1998 season, and it is interesting because he has Sean Casey as the 10th best prospect in baseball, Enrique Wilson the 11th, and Russell Bannon the 22nd. So when you look at this, the Indians traded. And I did was able to find that he was the, rated the 20th ranked prospect by Baseball America before the 1998 season. So they traded someone who was a consensus top 20 prospect for a 31-year-old pitcher who was yet, who was coming off a down year. Um, I mean, nowadays, can you imagine a team making that deal? Um, it, the fact that the Indians didn't somehow get Jeff Shaw in this deal. Now, Jeff Shaw had been a former high pick by the Indians. We'll get into that on a later podcast. but uh, Or even... Brett Tomko, who, fun fact, was actually taken one pick after Sean Casey in the um, the draft, uh, as they were both second-round picks in the 95 draft. Casey from University of Richmond. The Indians actually went with the most conservative route possible in that draft. Uh, back-to-back college first baseman David Miller in the first round, who was a guy that, as a kid, I always wondered why he didn't get a chance going over the numbers. He was a poor man's version of Sean Casey in the in the minors, but still, first-round pick, never, who advanced steadily through the minors, um, 
the fact that he never even got a cup of coffee is kind of interesting to me, just from that perspective of what we normally see first-round picks. As mentioned, Casey was a second-round pick. Um, not the best one that year. The third best one that year behind Jared Washburn and Carlos Beltran. We won't get too much in the first round because eventually I want to talk about that draft on the show. Uh, I will say three of the first four picks suffered injury problems that really cut their career short. But that is a draft that ended up with three Hall of Famers. Only one of them, Carlos Beltran, uh, could the Indians have actually drafted. Uh, I mentioned David Miller in the first round. In the second round, they take Casey one pick later. The uh, Reds take Brett Tomko. Reds didn't have a first-round pick because they signed Damon Berryhill, a backup catcher who played 40 games for them for one season. And that's, again, how the draft has changed over the years, that that was considered, all right, whatever. Uh, Sean Casey never hit for enough power. He had three seasons where he was above two war, which is what you want for a uh, starter. So he was just always bat light. Like That's just probably the best way to describe it. He never quite hit enough. I mean, he retired as over a 300 hitter for his career, but he was a pretty miserable defender um, at first base. He was essentially a DH trying to pass as a first baseman, and that also kind of shows up in the data and brings his value down. Like, if you get rid of that, his offensive production a few other years was above that two-win threshold. Uh, He would have a a nice long career, but I think based on that rookie season, probably a little bit of a disappointment because he did come out so strong. The previous year for the Indians in 97, he played double-A, triple-A, and in the majors that year. Uh, across double A AA and triple A was just 82 games for him, but he still hit 380 with a 446 on base percentage. So you can see why he was a highly sought it after prospect. Um, if you go back to the previous year, the Indians, the Pirates, and one Enrique Wilson, he was someone on the rise for a while with them. The the cupboard wasn't bare, and when you had someone like Russell Brandon coming up, I'm I know why, but this trading of someone like Sean Casey is also what results in you trading away, you know, a Jeremy Burnitz, and then you're trading away a Brian Giles, and you're trading away a Richie Sexton, and they kept trading away good young hitters trying to find pitching more often than not, um, or finding vet talent, and those trades just helped cut the Indians at the knees, like ended that. When you look at the Indians, you have 94 the cut short season through, what, 99, um, where they're really a competitive team, 2000, kind of the the wheels fall off. I mean, that's only for a team that had four Hall of Famers or something, a five-year run. I mean, the, the current Indians and their current incarnation now are close to having a very similar run. Same, um, just what, one less World Series appearance? But it, it's going to be something to watch. It is something to consider and look at that for as good as they were, it's kind of amazing um, how short that run was for the Indians. I've already spent a lot of time talking about Burba and Casey. It worked out for the Indians, but it just feels like the Indians probably should have got more at the time, uh, is kind of my thought. Let's do a late break for our sponsors, and then we will come back and talk about the 66 draft. You know our sponsor. They've been our fantastic sponsor for a few weeks now, which is not something I often get to say on this show. So if you enjoyed this show and you are in need of a scale... Go and get Withings. Go get this Body Plus scale. They made the first smart scale. They still make the best, as was rated by Tom's Guide this year. Um, again, people who give us multiple weeks of advertising is is huge. So go and vote with your wallets. This isn't just, this is, a like I said, a really interesting product that I was intrigued by from day one. It uses Android or iOS, and it uses Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth to sync with your phone and it's doing body composition. You're doing weight change. It's going to help you see what's going on in terms of your weight loss and whatever you might have in place. 
It can have update people. It knows how they're all different. It's even going to tell you the weather. So this is a really great scale. And to get it, you're going to go over to withings.com, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com. And you're going to use the promo code MLB to get 25% off the Body Plus Composition Scale. Remember, go over to withings.com, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com. Use the promo code MLB to get 25% off their Body Plus Composition Scale. It's a really interesting product. If nothing else, just go and look at it. Uh, I'm sure if they have a spike in site hits, that will look good as well. So just going and checking out our sponsors always helps this show out. So just keep that in mind uh, as you're sitting around maybe a little bit extra time to do things. So let's talk about the 1966 draft, the second draft um, in Indians history. Uh, The Indians had the 12th overall pick that year. And in kind of a, you know, when we look and consider what we know about the Cleveland Indians, um, the fact that they went high school heavy. Now, this is also an era where um, it wasn't a shock to see a kid stay for all four years of college, but to go so high school heavy that of their first 12 picks, 10 of them were high school kids. Uh, they took a, another Ohioan. I never did get any information about the first Ohioan drafted by the Indians. You know, I, I went and talked about it, and no one <laughs> dug anything up. So that's going to remain a mystery. But uh, they draft and this time are able to sign Ollie Coffey, went to East Tech High School in Cleveland. So their first Clevelander, first kid from Cleveland drafted, was a switch-hitting catcher named Ollie Coffey. He would play 66 and 67 in the minors for the Indians, appearing in 71 games, uh, hit 211, 316 on base, 242 slugging, and that was it for him. But still, uh, for a player like Ollie Coffey, the fact that he was a local kid who was taken in the 66 draft, became the first Ohioan to sign by the Cleveland Indians, uh, you know, it's a really interesting, and his story goes on. Like, he, he's definitely someone to check out. You know, Ali Coffey was a, an African-American gentleman. There's a great story over here on The Plain Dealer, which has a picture of him uh, by Phil Morris. Uh, I'm trying to see the date. October 27, 2019. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Coffey died uh, this past October. But according to this, you know, he saw the writing on the wall and knew he was going to be drafted. And instead, in in enlisted so when he leaves the indians minors he joins the military and goes and fights in vietnam so i'm not going to go through his whole story on here but i would recommend going and looking up this article by uh, i want to get the author right philip morris over on the pain dealer again first kid from cleveland drafted and signed by the indians first kid from ohio drafted and signed by the indians ollie coffee um, in this draft, the Indians drafted four players who would go on to make it to the majors. Unfortunately, they only signed two of those players. Of the four that made it, only two produced a positive war uh, value, and only one of those guys uh, actually reached uh, was signed by the Indians. So their first pick, John Curtis, was a from Smithton High School in uh, New York, and he would go on to have a war just shy of eight, be a, a solid back-end starter for a few years. Problem here is that the Indians' second first-round pick is John Curtis, and they failed to sign him. He would go to Clemson, play there, and two years later, he would be the 10th overall pick, so he'd move up a little bit uh, in the draft. The next player the Indians drafted and able to sign in that class was in the 12th round, and that was the second player from Ohio drafted and signed by the Cleveland Indians. And I'm sorry, I said the 12th round. It was the 14th round when they drafted Russ uh, Nagelson, the 
second Ohio undrafted by the Cleveland Indians. He, uh, as I had mentioned, had gone to Ohio State. He was from Cincinnati. He would play in 62 games in the majors with the Indians and the Tigers. Uh, more of a cup of coffee guy. Career 211, 326, 236, 589 an OPS plus of 65, but still he made it. And he is the third Ohioan ever drafted by the Indians and the first uh, college kid from Ohio to be drafted by the Indians and the first Ohioan drafted by the Indians to make it to the majors. So there's definitely a name to know. We, the next guy, and we'll get into here is Billy Harris. Now, Billy Harris was a 27th round draft pick at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. He would sign with the Indians uh, he had been, the previous year, a 62nd round draft pick of the June amateur draft. He would come up through the Indian system and play in 38 games in 1968, so just two years after being drafted. Uh, had a all-right year. The next year he would play in five games with the Royals, and that was it. 43 total games for his career. Worth half a win, uh, according to baseball reference. So, But at least he made it especially for a late-round pick to make it to the majors and sign and in a class where, I mean, he is the most productive player the Indians signed in this class. And the last one who did not sign was uh, Jack Lind, who is a third baseman out of Arizona State. Mr. Lind would uh, become a seventh-rounder the next year in the draft secondary phase. There was back when you had all these different types of drafts. And he would make it to the majors eventually with the uh, with the Phillies, with the Brewers, appearing in uh, 26 games for them. He played a kind of utility role. Uh, other kind of notes in here, fun things, as we're just kind of going through and looking. There was a third Ohioan taken here uh, from Chamberlain High School in Twinsburg, and that's William Coleman. He uh, would then go on to the University of Michigan. He was from Bedford, Ohio. Uh, did not get drafted again after not signing in uh, thirty uh, as a 32nd round draft pick. So you got three Ohioans in that class. Uh, one of them making it to the majors, which is, you know, not bad. Uh, in terms of how that draft turned out for everybody else, uh, let's dig into that. Just kind of look at some of those value picks before we close the show tonight. The, this draft became kind of an infamous one because the New York Mets had the first overall pick that year. They took Stephen Chilcott, who was a you know viewed as a future star at the catching position. Guy couldn't stay healthy, and until Brian Taylor um, got into the fight, which injured his shoulder and made it so he couldn't couldn't pitch anymore. And recently, Mark Appel, Chilcott was the only number one overall pick who never made it to the big leagues. He would retire at age 24, and that's, you know, all they wrote. It probably wouldn't be as bad if it wasn't for the fact that the second pick in that draft was Reggie Jackson. Um, you go down, Ken Brett was an effective player. Uh, one pick after the Indians took John Curtis. You have Gary Nolan, who pitched. Uh, Richie Hebner, who was an effective shortstop. Uh, Carlos May had some productive years. All of those guys signed as high picks. Uh, in the second round... Not really much of anything for anyone. The Indians took, uh, for those who are curious at home, Bill Lynch, a left-handed pitcher from uh, Kentucky, a high school kid. As I said, most of these were high school kids. Third round, Frank Duffy doesn't sign. Steve Garvey doesn't sign. The Indians take Terry Tyler, a high school uh, outfielder from California. 
we'll just go through the fifth on this. In the fourth round, uh, Elliot Maddox doesn't sign. Mike Jorgensen does sign, making him the top pick kind of so far. We've talked about outside the first round. And the Indians uh, take a another uh, high school kid, a first baseman, uh, William Kyle from University High School. And in the fifth round, I'm sure there's going to be some big name I miss because I'm only going five deep. But you have Cliff Johnson and... Dave Cash, who stand out in terms of productive big leaguers over extended periods of time. The Indians pick that year, uh, one pick after George Stone, who had a you know a effective major league career, um, was Dick Davis, their first uh, college kid out of UNC Pembroke, a third baseman. Uh, obviously, didn't work out for him. Uh, Dave Cash would go just three picks later to the Pirates. So the '66 draft is one of those when you look at it. The Indians end up with negative value. Um, two players make it to the big leagues. One of them uh, is, they're both cups of coffee types. Their only player who had an extended time in the majors is one they failed to sign. Uh, the pick one after them turned into an effective big leaguer. Uh, just not a great draft, the 66 draft for the Cleveland Indians. We'll keep working through these, working our way up, um, seeing what the next year will have as we kind of dig into the, uh, the Cleveland Indians draft history which is always fraught with peril. Um, one could argue the greatest stretch of drafting in Indians history has just recently occurred. So uh, anything basically from outside of like 2007 to, I don't know, 2015 to 2014, that's probably their, their prime drafting years. Um, again, I want to thank you all for listening, reading and reviewing downloading, telling a friend, going to our sponsor sites. All of that helps the show tremendously. You are all fantastic. I have been Jeff Ellis. You are always awesome. This is Lockdown Indians, and as always, go Tribe.